looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 15th, 2023. It is currently 8.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I was sitting in this studio, and I was working on my messages for tomorrow. Sunday school, the first hour, Jeremiah chapter 11. For the morning worship service, Jeremiah chapter 12. For Sunday night, it's supposed to be Jeremiah chapter 13. And yes, I know we're supposed to be done with the entire book of Jeremiah by the end of August. Yes, I know I need to start skipping chapters. Yes, I know I need to start summarizing chapters. Yes, I know I need to speed up. Yes, I know I need to be advancing. But, but, but the reality is This is where we are and how to proceed. All I can do is just do the best I can. All right. It's all I can because I, there's just so much in the book of Jeremiah that I, I still want us struggling with and wrestling with. So the bottom line is I was here in the studio and I'm like, you know, I've got my own ideas. I've got my own kind of perspective. I know what I'll do. I'll go to the sermons 2.0 app. I'll type in Jeremiah 11. And the very first thing that shows up, I'll play. Now, I think the very first thing that showed up was me and all of the messages I've done on Jeremiah. So I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, if anything else other than me shows up, okay. But there, I think there was something right above mine or right under mine. I can't remember. But the very first thing I saw that wasn't one of my messages, I hit play. And I'm like, oh, okay. They talk about Jeremiah chapter 11. They connect it with the the, refer, the period of Reformation under Josiah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's really good. They're offering some historical thing. And then they talk about something God, I think they say something along the lines of something, well, I'm not even going to tell you what they, they said, but they said something. And it's one of those situations where I'm listening to something and it, it's just, it's like it just jumps out at me and slaps me in the face. And in some ways, I've been wrestling with this a lot, really just in the book of Jeremiah. And I've probably I've been, I've wrestled with it my entire Christian life to, and to, at some level. There's just certain things in the Bible, certain things theologically that should confound you, that should bother you. But we're, we're always kind of told, you know, you know, we're basically kind of told within the Christian world, don't let it bother you. Don't let it confound you. Just kind of accept it. And, and you're not really to ever go, well, that just seems messed up. No, 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 no. You're not to think that. Everything is wonderful. Everything is perfect. Everything is, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Everything is wonderful. But sometimes there's some things you just makes you go, well, if God can, then why doesn't he? If God can, then why doesn't he? Because that would fix all the problems. So then you either have to have a theology that emphasizes what God can do, But for some weird reason, he doesn't, and you just say, well, that's his sovereign choice, but it still leaves you sometimes perplexed in how that, how you then apply that to everyday life, or you have a theology where you say God can't. So you either have a a theology of God can, but doesn't, or you have a theology that says God can't, and man is unwilling. Basically, I mean, basically you have a theology of God can or a theology of God can't. 
theology of God can or a theology of God can't. And that explains a lot when it comes to the world and to, and to well, the lives of, of people. And it's somewhat perplexing because when you read the book of Jeremiah, and if you've been a part of this study with us, we're in Jeremiah chapter 11, you know that this is just God's message primarily to Judah. Israel's mentioned as well, the, North, the northern kingdom is mentioned as well as the southern kingdom, and it's sin and judgment and sin and judgment and failure and failure to obey and idolatry. Over and over and over, they fail, they fail, they fail, they fail, they fail. Over and over and over and over again. In fact, if you, if you kind of think about it, I mean, come on, let's think about this. If you read from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, it seems to be a perpetual story of failure. Now, you always have these certain individuals, you know, like, well, see, God, God always has his person. God, and, but wait a minute, but it's a story of failure. Just, it raises so many questions. I won't try to, try to spe- specify any further because I'm going to play the audio that I heard that I'm just, it, it just raised this question. And let's see if you can hear it. Let's see if you can detect it. Let's see if you can find it. And most of you, I'm assuming about 90% of you, will be like, I don't, what's the problem? I don't see the problem. I don't, I don't see any problem. It, it's no big deal. But I think there should be at least about 10% of you that should be like, man, I've, I struggle with that very same question. It bothers me. It keeps me up at night. I don't understand it. And nobody's really ever provided me a good answer. Now, I know all the supposed answers that are given in, you know, theology and a seminary and the theology class or, or, you know, and books about the problems of this and, and, and how do we understand it? And, and, and the apologists and Christians are like, see, the answer is so simple. And then if you question it or doubt it, they're like, you, you just don't have faith or you're, and then you basically are attacked because you just won't accept what they think is such a brilliant answer. But in many cases, is it really a good answer? I don't know. I don't know. But are you ready? Let's listen to this. See if you find it. It may not jump out at you. It may not. This may be one of those situations where it's just me, myself, and I sitting in my studio, and I'm just having this conversation with myself. There's a good possibility. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because then even if no one listens to this, and even if no one sees the problem, at least it's me thinking and meditating and struggling with the text that I will be speaking on tomorrow. So that only benefits at least those who will be listening to me tomorrow or those who may listen to those messages at a later time once they're posted on the internet. And I'm glad I'm mentioning it right now because I need to plug in my laptop and I need to plug in uh, my microphone uh, device or we won't be having a live streaming service tomorrow. We won't be, uh, I won't be able to live stream the service and I won't be able to record it. So yeah, I'm so I'm glad that I'm talking about it right now. But okay, but are you ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Thinking caps on. If you don't hear it, that's okay. It, it, that's okay. It just means you're wrong. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. It just means you need to contact me and go, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't fret. You should not worry. It's no big deal. But I, I don't know. It seems to me. Here we go. Hello there, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast from Family Bible, a ministry of Christian Family Reformation. I'm your host, Christian Horseman, and it's my prayer that as you and your family study God's Word together, you'll find this broadcast to be a blessing to your souls and an inspiration to grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. So without any further delay, let's get started. 
Yeah, it's a pretty cool intro. I got to give him props for that. It's a pretty good intro. The music's pretty dramatic. It's, it's pretty good. And he comes in. Uh, it sounds like he's using a. I don't know. What, I don't know how he records his uh, his speaking there. It doesn't sound like he's on a like a podcast. It's like he's using maybe a. I don't know what kind of microphone he's using there. But I, just whenever you listen to podcasts, these are the things you notice. So. I always love how different people produce it and how they, what their setup is and how it works. Okay. None of that really matters because we're here about a theological issue, but just, hey, that's really awesome. All right. That's good. All right. Let's continue. It's Saturday, July 15th, year of our Lord, 2023. And today we're taking a closer look at the 11th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Chronologically speaking, it seems that the prophecies in this chapter and the next were delivered shortly after the great reforms that were carried out during King Josiah's reign. In this particular discourse, Jeremiah reminds the people of the recent renewal of the covenant, and then he complains of rebellion against the Lord, as well as of a plot by the men of Anathoth to take away his life. Jeremiah urged his countrymen to not be heedless of the covenant that they and their king had recently made with the Lord. For Jehovah never has and never will promise blessings upon his creatures while they persist in willful and obstinate disobedience and rebellion. For this reason, he keeps alive a succession of faithful preachers and ministers among his people in all ages. Did you hear it? God will never bless anyone, basically, unless they're faithful. Okay. And for this reason, he always keeps a line of faithful pastors, prophets, and speakers. Now, to do what? I'm going to back this up just a little bit. I'm going to back this up just a little bit. Let's listen to this again. Jeremiah urged his countrymen to not be heedless of the covenant that they and their king had recently made with the Lord. For Jehovah never has and never will promise blessings upon his creatures while they persist in willful and obstinate disobedience and rebellion. For this reason, he keeps alive a succession of faithful preachers and ministers among his people in all ages, who continually remind his people to obey his voice. Pardon. God's always going to have a line of faithful preachers and, and, and prophets to warn the people and to speak to the people and teach. He's always going to have that. Now, I don't know about you. Now, that may not do anything to you. You may just say like, okay, oh, that's why. Oh, praise God. He's always going to have a line of faithful preachers and faithful prophets. What a wonderful thing. That is so great. God's going to always ensure that there's a faithful prophet and a faithful preacher to warn the people and teach the people. That is wonderful. That is great. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And everybody just leaves church and we go home and everybody's ha- happy with that. Does, does it not, does that not kind of go? Does that not slap you in the face? Because the question is, okay, if God can always ensure there's a faithful prophet, always ensure there's a faithful preacher, then why can't he always ensure there's a faithful people? a faithful nation. If God can ensure that there's a prophet and a priest or a a, a pastor, whatever words you want to use, if he can always ensure that there's going to be some of them, then why don't just ensure that everyone is faithful, everyone is following God, everyone is obedient, and then all the problems go away. 
hey, the people are going to be unfaithful, but I will always ensure that there's a faithful prophet and there's a faithful uh, pastor to speak to those unfaithful people. But if you just make sure that the people are faithful, then you don't need the pastor or preacher to try to warn them of their sin. So if God can ensure that some people are faithful, then why can't he ensure that all are faithful? Now, this person speaking may not have quite meant it that way, and he just may have meant to say that God will always ensure that, you know, somehow that there's at least these people are faithful, or he'll always make sure they're alive. Like, he could, he may not mean it exactly the way I'm articulating it, but it, really, it to me, it leads to this question. I just want you to think about it. Some people say, God will always ensure there's a faithful remnant. Well, if it will always ensure there's a faithful remnant, why not just to ensure there's a faithful whole? Okay. Why, why ensure that there's always a faithful 100 when you could ensure that there's a faithful 500,000? Why, why ensure that there's a faithful 10,000 when you could ensure that there's a faithful 10 billion? So how much is God involved? Is God involved only to ensure that there's going to be a faithful pastor and a faithful prophet? Uh, and that's it. That's where, that's it. That's, and then the rest is up to the people. Now, people have different theologies on this. You have the theology of God can, and you have the, the but doesn't, and you have the theology of God can't. Which, wh- where do you fall into the line theologically? Now, if you say God can, Right? So I wrote down this question in my journal. How much is God involved and is responsible for the condition of a nation and of an individual? So here in the book of Jeremiah, this is, these are God's people, God's chosen. This is, this is Judah. This is Israel, whether it's the northern kingdom or southern kingdom, whether the kingdom's separated or the kingdom is united. How much is God involved in the faithfulness of that nation? Is God directly involved or is God just say, Hey guys, you be faithful. It's all on you. Hey, but, 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 but then you say, wait a minute, but God's going to ensure that there's a remnant. Well, if he's going to ensure the remnant, why not all? So how much is, how much, how responsible is God for that? Now, it really depends on your theology, right? If your theology is God is the one who grants repentance. If God is the one who grants repentance and if God is the one who gives faith, well, if the people are not repenting and the people are not believing and the people are rebelling, well, it's because God has not granted the repentance or granted the faith. Now you say, well, that's up to God's sovereign decree and sovereign, sovereign election. Now I'm more Calvinist. I mean, I'm, I'm, well, I am Calvinistic. I am, a, I, I believe in God's sovereign election. So uh, on one hand, you would be like, well, then God is responsible here. There's no way to get around that, right? Now, how do we, how do we a- apply that to say, well, man, these people of Judah, I mean, it's all, it's all them. It's all them. Is it all them? Because if they cannot repent and if they cannot believe unless God grants it to them. Now, God still holds the sinner responsible, right? I mean, that's, we know that to be true. Is God responsible? How do we look that when we, when you look at our own nation, you're like, man, the nation is falling apart. What do we do? Well, what do you mean? What do we do? If God is the one who grants the repentance and one is God is God is the one who grants the faith. 
All you can do is just continue to preach and teach as God has called us to do. And you really can't be that worried about it. And just because God, obviously things are working out the way God wants them to work out. So if you are, if you are in the God can but doesn't camp, your real answer is it's the sovereignty of God. And you just have to be, apply that in all these situations. God did not want those people to repent. He did not want them to believe. He said, well, no, he wanted them to believe. But if God is the one doing it, so how much is God involved? Now, if you are in the camp of no, 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 no. This is not on God. This is on the people. This is the people. The people can repent on their own. The people can believe on their own. They have pure freedom to do that. Well, if it's purely on the people, then you can't turn around and say, well, God will always ensure there's a remnant. No, 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 no. God would have no control whether there's a remnant. He would have no control. And God would have no control of other than always be a faithful pastor. No, God would have no control because each individual would be 1000% free. And God would just be like, God's like, I set it in motion. I knew what was going to happen, but now it's on the people. Now, the minute you say it's all on the people, now you're going to have to fall. You're going to have to slide over into semi-Pelagianism or full-blown Pelagianism because now you're going to have to believe that the sinful nature and their depravity does not impact their will. Well, then that raises all kinds of other theological issues. And even that doesn't really get God off the hook because God knows I'm going to give, quote unquote, give man free will, knowing exactly what they're going to do with that free will. <laughs> that's still responsible. Hey, I'm going to give everyone free will knowing that it's going to lead to death, destruction, sin, mur- murder, rape. Well, God is still the one and he could have ended it at any time. So how do we apply that in a meaningful way? When I'm reading all of this stuff in Jeremiah about their sin and their rebellion, you're like, man, this is so messed up. Do, do, I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to say, well, they were messed up or where's God? But but here, even in this message, he's got, hey, 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 but God will always ensure, though, he's got faithful this. Well, if he can ensure that, that means God can, but he's not ensuring that there's faithful other things. There's not a faithful nation. That seems troubling to me. Now, I understand the free will, the complete, that God, uh, that God can't because he doesn't want to violate that. You got the God can view or the God can't view. The God can't view is, hey, God can't basically do anything to man's will. So it's all on man. But then you have to believe man's will is absolutely free, meaning then you no longer believe in the total depravity of man. And then you're back to semi-Pelagianism or Pelagianism, which I think is just as problematic. And there's a tension here trying to figure it out. There's a tension. Now, many Christians will just say, oh, well, it's, there's a tension. It's a little bit of both. It's not that, I don't have a, like most, most Christians just basically say that they don't really have a struggle with it or a problem with it, but I don't know how they don't. Cause as soon as I heard, he was like, God will always ensure that there's a faithful this and faithful that. I'm like, well, here's a good idea. How about ensure that the people are faithful? Then there's no judgment. There's no death. There's no destruction. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's no humiliation. There's no people being hurt by someone's failure. There's no moral scandal. Everyone could be protected and preserved. God, right? 
But 2,000 years of church history is sin, failure, and sin, just like throughout the entire Old Testament, it's sin and failure and failure and sin and failure and failure. It's just weird. Sometimes we will be, sometimes as preachers, we will, we are, you know, even as Christians, we speak of what God can do, but we never think of the implications. Well, if God can do that, well, then why doesn't he then just fix the problem? But we, so we know, so sometimes we emphasize God can, but then we have to be able to answer why he doesn't. Some emphasize God cannot do that. It's all on man. Well, then that raises questions then about, well, so does the fall impact them? Well, you know, well, and then if God can't, then why, what's the point of praying? I mean, don't we pray for God to send revival? Well, why would God send revival? Because God can't send revival because revival would be have to something that man has to do because man has the free will. Or do you want God to somehow not worry about man's free will and try to influence it, m- manipulate it, do, do something. Do you want God to actually intervene? I mean, these are deep questions. And I don't have any good answers. I know Josiah reformed everything. It didn't matter. It didn't change the heart of the people. They still wanted their idols. In fact, they conspired together, I think is how the King James puts it, to go back. I'm going to play this again. I'm going to back this up. Again, it, you may not even have noticed it. We're just going to play a little bit of this out. Here we go. It's Saturday, July 15th, year of our Lord, 2023. And today we're taking a closer look at the 11th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Chronologically speaking, it seems that the prophecies in this chapter and the next were delivered shortly after the great reforms that were carried out during King Josiah's reign. In this particular discourse, Jeremiah reminds the people of the recent renewal of the covenant, and then he complains of rebellion against the Lord, as well as of a plot by the men of Anathoth to take away his life. Jeremiah urged his countrymen to not be heedless of the covenant that they and their king had recently made with the Lord. For Jehovah never has and never will promise blessings upon his creatures while they persist in willful and obstinate disobedience and rebellion. For this reason, he keeps alive a succession of faithful preachers and ministers among his people in all ages, who continually remind his people to obey his voice. Pardon and acceptance are freely promised to all who believe in the salvation that is offered through Jesus. But no person can or will be saved when they do not obey the command of God to repent, to believe in Christ, to separate from sin in the world, and to choose self-denial and newness of life. Oh wow, we got a lot. We got. See, I didn't even make it that far. No one will be saved until they obey the command to repent, and until you do all of those other things. This is straight. <laughs> hey, you're not going to be saved unless you obey all of the. We got. We we need to make a list of this. Anybody got taking notes? Okay, we're going to back this up. I need you to write down all the things we have to do in order to be saved. Okay, all the things we have to obey. This is salvation by works. I mean, when you tell someone you're not saved unless you obey. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay. All right. We're we're gonna, just going to go ahead and follow this because we're already in it. I wanted to more focus on Jeremiah and wait, wait a minute. If God can provide these faithful people, then just provide all of them a, f- a faithful people and then we don't have any problems. But okay, now I got to hear this. Now, now, now I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. We need, okay, I need someone to take good notes here. Okay, where's my, I got my notebook here. I got my journal here. Oh, I got to hear this. Okay, how many things do we have to do? 
How many things do we have to do? I got. I need to write these things down. Okay, what? Okay, what must I do to be saved? See, this is back to God can or God can't. If this is if if this is what I must do, then God's not involved in this, right? Or does God only do this for me? Okay. Again, we get to this kind of question. All right, let's listen to this again. Oh, this is good. All right, here we go. His people in all ages who continually remind his people to obey his voice. Pardon and acceptance are freely promised to all who believe in the salvation that is offered through Jesus. But no person can or will be saved when they do not obey the command of God to repent. Right. No one will be saved until they obey the command to repent. I'm not going to be able to write. I'm not going to be able to read anything I'm writing down. It looks like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay. All right. Obey the command to repent. All right. Now the next one, let's listen carefully. It's going to go fast. To believe in Christ. All right. To believe in Christ. To believe in Christ. Now, is he saying that there's a there's a command to believe in Christ? Hey, you must believe in Christ. If he's saying that's a command, and he's saying we are saved by obeying that command, then we are saved by what we do. We're saved by works, right? I mean, this becomes the, the inevitable pr- problem you lead to. Okay, what's the third thing? I think he said there was a third thing here. Here we go. To separate from sin in the world. To separate, to separate from sin and the world, to separate from sin and the world, what's the next thing? And to choose self-denial and newness of life. And to choose... Self-denial and newness of life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to hell, okay? (laughs) Because... (laughs) <laughs> that's a lot of, th- I, I, I don't know if there's another one, but that's, so here's what you have to do in order to be saved. You must obey the command to repent. I'm assuming that means God is not the one granting the repentance. That means, I guess I, I just have the power to repent. I'm, but I, so I'm obeying a command. Second, I must, oh, I, it appears the way he's, ver- he has worded this. I must obey the command to believe. So I'm obeying two commands right there. Number three, I must separate from sin and the world. I don't know how much separation from sin and the world I must achieve in order to be saved. Like, how, how much? How much? Now, are you saying I must be willing to do this in order to be saved? Or are you saying I must do this before I can be saved? The, the, the order would be somewhat. But even if you do with the order, it's still problematic. Because how much separation must occur in order for me to be saved? I got to separate from the sin and the world. What does this mean? 
Like, I mean, you look, when you say it's a requirement for salvation, this is not creating a straw man. It's, it's a, upon that theology that demands these things in order to be saved. They must spe- specify with great specificity exactly what one must do in order to attain and achieve said salvation. And then I must choose self-denial and newness of life. Wow. Okay. Let's see if there's one more. But alas, men will very often hearken to those who speak to them of doctrines, promises, and privileges. But when duties are mentioned, they will not give their ear. Okay. So those are all the things. And then he says, a lot of people will hearken to someone who gives the promises, but once you give these demands, a lot of people will not listen. So the issue is the way to fix your, the way to be saved is you have to meet these demands. He's, I mean, we just, we've been doing a series on the, you know, blurring of law and gospel. This may be the greatest example. He's just turned the entire gospel into law to obeying the law. Repent. You must do that. And I'm assuming he doesn't mean repentance is just a change of mind. I believe he believes repentance is a change of behavior. So you got to change your behavior. Then you must obey the command to believe in Christ. You must then separate from sin and the world. I thought, I think repentance would cover that. So is he saying repentance is a change of mind? I don't know. Then you must choose self-denial and newness of life. But he doesn't articulate exactly how much of those things must be present, when they must be present, and how do I know I've done enough in order to be saved? Obviously, this is not just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. No, you must do a whole bunch of things. In verses 11 through 17, we learn that evil pursues sinners who refuse to obediently bend their knee to the king of the universe, and it entangles them in snares out of which they cannot free themselves. In their distress, their many idols will be no help to them whatsoever, and those persons whose own prayers will not be heard cannot expect to reap any benefits from the prayers of others. Their false professions of religion shall prove to be of no use. They place their confidence in these things, thinking that they would come to their rescue when troubles fell upon them. But God has rejected them. His altar and his house of worship shall yield them no satisfaction. The remembrance of God's former favors to them shall be no comfort under their present troubles. Every sin against the Lord is a sin against ourselves, and it will be proved to be so sooner or later. Unlike some of the other prophets, Jeremiah tells us much concerning his personal life, and the times which he lived in were very troublesome indeed. The rest of the chapter details how the men of his own hometown plotted how they might cause his death. But how ironic it is that these wicked men planned to end his days, while the faithful servant of Jehovah outlived most of his enemies. They thought to blast his memory, but it lives on in honor until this very day, and it will be blessed as long as time shall last. God knows all the secret plans of his and his people's enemies, and when he pleases, he can make them known, as he apparently did here. God's justice is a terror to the wicked, but a comfort to the believer. The fact that the inhabitants of his own hometown were conspiring against him was doubtless a great grief to the prophet, but he appealed to the Lord of hosts and said, Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. And God threatened to visit them with sword and famine. To be able to say, in times of calamity, I have ceased to concern myself about myself, that will bring a person far more peace of mind than he can otherwise obtain. Martin Luther once said, Once I grasped too many things, none stayed, they all had wings. But since I have weary grown, and all away have thrown, not one from me has flown. 
And do you ask, how is it thus? Because I've cast my all on Jesus. Learn then to place your cause in the hands of God, or in other words, to cast your all upon Christ. And then you may let afflictions and persecutions come from whatever source they may, for you will stand like an oak of the forest amidst the fury of the wildest storm. It is a comfort to know that when we are wronged, we have a God to commit our cause to. From this chapter, let us meditate upon the subject that Jerusalem sinners laid so little at heart, namely the blessedness of that covenant which the Lord commanded his servant the prophet to preach in their streets. What can be more sweet or gracious than that which is at the bottom of all mercies, and which Jehovah himself causes to be so? I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amidst all our departures and backslidings to this foundation, which is confirmed and made known in Christ, may we look and take comfort. Our God will hear us. We have been like the people of Judah, and we have set up many idols in our hearts. But in the gracious covenant promises of God in Christ, let us seek deliverance from all our idols. He is gracious. He will be very merciful to our now, what's crazy is you're supposed to be saved. You're supposed to be free from all of this. And then he turns around and says, we set up all these idols in our hearts and that we do all of these things. Well, wait a minute. If, if to be saved, I'm supposed to get rid of all of that stuff. So clearly then to be saved is to get rid of all of this stuff, but you don't really get all of that stuff because many of us will still do the very things that we were supposed to do in order to be saved. So we, that means we really don't have to do those things in order to be saved unless then we're not really saved. Like I don't even know then what sal salvation is. It is crazy. Well, I wasn't prepared for that. I was focusing on God can, but doesn't, or God can't. I, I was focusing on that. And then it turns into, if you want to be saved, obey the following list. Okay. Here, here's the 37 thing. Okay. He didn't give 37. I'm being, I'm being a little hyper, hyperbolic, but here's the things you must do in order to be saved. Is that not straight Roman Catholicism? And he quoted from Martin Luther. The whole point Luther was, we can't do these things. Christ did those things. Christ's obedience and his righteousness is yours and mine and everyone by faith alone. That is the only answer. Now, the question is, is God the one who grants that faith? And if it is, then why doesn't he grant it to everyone? Well, that's his sovereign choice. We'll never understand that. Theoretically, he's not, I mean, obviously, he's not, you know, he doesn't, he's not, there's no demand on him for him to have to provide it to anyone. He's not obligated to provide it to anyone. But if you say, man, it's up to man, then we have to say, then we don't have a sinful nature and that we're free. Our will is completely free. Then you're saying that man just by the exercise of their free will, could obey all of God's law, even apart from regeneration. Therefore, there could be perfect men even without regeneration, which is what Pelagius taught. All right, let's just finish this since we're already here and it's only got like a minute left. Christ, and when he hears, he will answer. Oh, for grace to lay hold of the covenant of redemption in his blood. And this concludes our study today in the 11th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Okay, well, <laughs> hey, look, man, all I can say is you covered Jeremiah chapter 11, 
and about four minutes and 32 seconds. <laughs> More power to you. I, I would never, I would never be able to accomplish that in a billion years. Okay. I, I can't. Yeah. I, 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 I'm trash when it comes to that kind of thing. All right. Someone in the, in the chat has just given us the following thought. All right. They, uh, they shall be his people, but in Jeremiah 11, there be, uh, let's see, they shall be his people, but in Jeremiah 11, they're being rebuked, right? And it even says not to pray for them. I'm not sure how he turned this into a message about hope for us. Very good point. <laughs> Very good point. It was really weird. You got to do these things in order to be saved. And just like the people of Jeremiah's day, we set up idols in our heart, but there's hope in Christ. Well, wait a minute. How is there any hope in Christ when you just said I had to do all these things in order to be saved? And if I do all these things in order to be, sa to be saved, then why do idols ever show up in my heart? Okay, I don't know. Right. Someone else, got, they go, or, so, or the same person said, there's so much here and he goes so quickly through it. I know. I, I like, he just, it's like he's reading a manuscript. He's like, he's reading a manuscript and it's just like, the end, good night, goodbye, good later. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, man, there's a lot of theological issues. God, God can, but he doesn't. Or God can't. And we can. I don't know. And did you write all of those things down? Did you write all of those things down that a person has to do in order to be saved? You should take that list and walk around tomorrow morning at church and just ask people, hey, d d does a person have to do these things in order to be saved? And make sure you write them down the way he used the word. You have to obey the command to repent. You have to obey the command to believe. You have to separate yourself from sin and the world. And you have to choose uh, self-denial and newness of life. And see how many people in your church would agree that that is what's required for salvation. Then ask themselves, ask them, well, are, then are you saved? And if they say yes... Well, then you know you can never trust another thing they ever say because if they actually believe they did those things. But not only that, you then may want to take your survey's findings to your pastor and say, hey, pastor, I don't think our church believes in the gospel of grace. I don't believe we, I think, I don't believe our church believes that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. Um, so, could you fix that? Or you may just want to ask your pastor, and if they give an affirmation to that, yeah, you may want to run for your life because they have obliterated the distinction between law and gospel, and they've turned the gospel into law. Well, wait a minute. Is this, is this about Jeremiah or is this about law and gospel? Wait, the, the two worlds just came together, and I, I wanted to just focus on Jeremiah 11, but there you go. So, are you, is your theology God can, but doesn't, or God can't, and man can? There you go. That's kind of an impromptu theological discussion on a Saturday night when I'm supposed to be doing sermon prep on this Saturday, July the 15th, 2023. Thank you for listening.
Just a couple of things, just a little housekeeping thing since I'm doing this impromptu thing. First, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider a five-star rating and a, and a nice review. Or you can go to theologycentral.net. You can post a f- give us five-star rating and post a review there. And if you're listening to us on Podorama, the Podorama podcasting app, Podorama, P-O-D-U-R-A-M-A, I think is how it's spelled, the Podorama, Podorama podcasting app or the Podorama uh, desktop app or the website, however you're listening to us with Podorama, I think it will also allow you to give a, 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 an episode five stars and write a little review. We appreciate that. That's always great. And uh, yeah, if you want more information, theologycentral.net, you can look at, check out my Podorama uh, podcasting playlist at theologycentral.net. Go to the blog section um, we're, I'm finding a different, I want to, I want to be able to figure out how to take the link to the playlist and put it in the show notes. And then you could then go click on the show notes for each podcast episode, see the playlist, and then you could see the different podcasts I'm listening to and what I think is fascinating whenever I'm sitting around listening to podcasts. And I add, and, and some of them are Christian, some of them I agree with, some of them I disagree with them, some of them are secular. It's just whatever I'm listening to. So don't go in going, oh, why is he listening to this? I listen to everything. All right. So you can check that out. Oh, wait. And I think we just lost internet connection for some reason. I think we're still good. I think we're still good on uh, Church One. I think we're still good on Church One. So hang on. We're going to give it a second and see if we come back. Oh, boy. Uh, that was a notification. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, on the on the speaker, we lost connection, but on Church One, the whole okay, there we, we're back. I think it probably Spreaker's going to break this into two episodes, so I'm going to have to delete this instantaneously. If you were listening to us on Church One or Sermons 2.0, I don't believe we lost connection in any way, shape, or form. So I'll grab the audio from that, upload it, then I'll replace the audio on uh, Spreaker. Um, and fix it. So if there was a slight interruption there at the end, it'll all be fixed, hopefully, through the magic of using uh, the other platform who records us. We'll use their recording. That's that's one good thing, doing it on two different platforms, but we'll try to get it fixed and make sure, all right? But there you go, all right? There you go. All right, thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.